Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and each week I have the pleasure of chatting to guests that inspire me about thriving and surviving in life. This week my guest is a true inspiration. Her name is Ruth Gilligan. She is an author and an academic. She wrote her first book at the age of 16 and became the youngest person ever to top the number one bestseller list in Ireland. The Butchers, her fifth novel, was published this year. Ruth really is inspirational. She's unassuming and incredibly nice to boot. She would make any mum proud. Enjoy. I am so excited to have my next guest on the show for so many reasons. Um, it's Ruth Gilligan, author, well, novelist, um, academic, and actually the youngest person ever to top the Irish bestsellers list. Um, uh, you're very welcome, Ruth. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. It is super great, actually. It's funny, so far in this podcast, and it's just happened sort of accidentally, um, just people that I'm interested in, have, there's so many of them actually have been female Irish and authors. We're, we're a fascinating breed, so that doesn't surprise me. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But this is sort of exceptionally interesting for me. I mean, your your career um, has been exceptional. I mean, you're only, am I right to say, and is it okay to say you're about 32? I is am indeed, right? yes. yes I am. Yeah, 32 years of age and you have already published five novels, exceptional by any standards. But your first book you wrote when you were 16. Yeah, that feels like quite a long time ago now. <laughs> I suppose, I, yeah, I suppose it's almost double your your age. Yeah, that's, it that's is. a really good point, actually. Yeah, I've now been writing for half my life. That's a good, that's a good way of thinking of it. That's pretty incredible. So tell me a little bit about that. Did you always love English? Did you like writing stories in school? Um, I know you did it as part of a school project or something. Was that, uh, uh, am I misremembering that? No, no, that's that? absolutely correct. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I guess I'd always been, I mean, I was a very kind of creative child in many ways and speech and drama and writing and singing and playing the piano and just any possible creative outlet that I could find. Um, But yeah, the writing was something that I'd always been into and, you know, writing poems and winning poetry competitions and all that kind of thing. And then basically in my school, um, transition year was compulsory. And one of the things that they did was that we had to do a project on anything we wanted. Um, And we basically had the whole school year to do it. So we had about nine months and had to be 50 pages. So people did, you know, my classmates did anything from the Titanic to World War II to JFK, all the usuals. Um, And I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to write a novel and now I have a deadline in the distance. Um, So I remember so clearly, I remember going into Dubray on Grafton Street and buying a book called How to Write a Novel. And (laughs) I read it. And then I sat down and I said, right, I think I'm going to write a novel. 
Um, and that was kind of it. You know, I really genuinely thought the only person who would ever read it would be my English teacher because she had to read us to, to give it a grade. Um, and I, I thought that would be the end of that. But basically, you know, Dublin being very small, like obviously my parents um, knew about it and they mentioned it to friends of theirs. They mentioned it to friends of theirs. And basically words got round to the one and only Patricia Scanlon, very successful writer in her own uh, right. And she, I know her and I would yeah. love to have her on yes, the show. Oh actually. God, she, must. I mean, she is amazing. Bearing in mind, I've never met this woman before in my life. Like she didn't know me from, from Adam or from Eve. Um, and she just rang me up one day and she said, hello there, this is Patricia Scanlon. Um, I've read your school project and I think it's a mess, but I think you have a voice and I would like to help you edit it. So, oh, how kind. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. So I used to go around to her house and she would go through my manuscript and she would go, you know, oh, this bit doesn't really work work because but this bit does work because and she would kind of coach me through it and then she sent me away with a load of edits and changes to make and then I did all of that and then she gave it to her publishers and they said wow yes we would like to offer you a two book deal so a two book deal you got a two book deal at 16 years I know I mean by this point I was probably 17 but yes it was completely and all purely 16 17 you know know. (laughs) Um, and it was all because of her like I still refer to her as my my fairy godmother because and she did it as you said just purely out of just kindness and and generosity it's so lovely when when people do things like that I definitely will I mean she is on my sort of bucket list of of guests and I I do know her you know and I have met her personally because my own book was published by the same publisher so we actually met sort of last ah, summer um, and I have met her at a couple of events but you know that way getting brave to ask people would they would they be I mean, um, you can guests only on ask. the show she is really she's one of the special ones like I can't I still I still she's, owe it all to she's her she's super yeah. she's super and I love following her on Twitter as well yeah. she's super interesting and um, kind, uh, yeah right? just very kind yeah. sort of person yeah. yeah and very thoughtful it's not about herself she's always kind of thinking of others um, so that's kind of pretty pretty fantastic and, and actually you know, just even listening to some of the things you said there, you know, won poetry competitions, did this, did that. And, and you know, the funny thing I was thinking when I asked you to be a guest on the show, um, I, you know, in the bio of this show, you know, in the intro, I say, you know, I, I, I speak to an eclectic mix of guests about thriving and surviving in life. And sort of many of the guests so far have overcome challenges and it has been about you know overcoming challenge and and how they survived and and ended up thriving afterwards Um, and I thought gosh you know from what I knew of you I said this is all going to be about thriving you know because (laughs) just you've done you know so many amazing things but then I kind of was doing some um, some research and and, you know it is funny you know people do think that um, and I I mean you absolutely thrive but it it, it sort of always will look on the outset like um, you know as if that is without challenge and I I mean, one thing that jumped out at me was there you were, and I don't know whether this is kind of typically Irish in a way, but there you were, you know, achieving this amazing feat of, you know, not only writing a novel, um, which I'm going to go back there as well, actually, because transition year is considered by so many people as such a waste. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they do all sorts of, oh, do this, do that, you know, because, and, you know, it shows something about your maturity level or your ambition or whatever to say, well, I'm actually going to write a book. <laughs> but I also 
also totally love um, that you went and bought a book on how to write a book. I, that just sings to me. That's exactly how yeah, I do how everything. How you know? go about it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some people would just assume you just sit down and do it. But uh, that's me. That's that's what I would do. Here I am learning how to podcast, you know, and what do I do? I go and I read about, you know, all the best ways. How do you do it? How do you set up a home studio? Having said that, I, 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 I took the easy route first. I mean, I'm all for doing the podcast, but I was, you know, I had employed a studio and use a studio, fabulous editor and all that, but needs must in the midst of COVID-19. But I will always do that. And I'm one for taking on challenges myself, but I'll always kind of learn from, I believe, I think maybe sometimes it comes with sort of academia, but it is that thing of standing on the shoulders of others. You know, other people have already learned how to do this so you can learn from them and you build on that. Um, And that kind of brings me um, sort of to another part of the reason I asked you on the show is that um, you were my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering when you were going to bring that up. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's kind of a funny one Uh, for listeners. um, The multi-talented Ruth was also um, an actor. Um, I think you were were about from the age of 12 or 14 we worked together. Yeah, so I was in it from the age of 12 to 16, so four years. Right, okay. Yeah, you were in it longer than I was Mm. because, so so to explain to listeners, um, I played uh, Ruth's mother. Your character was called Laura, actually. I was indeed, yeah. And um, my character uh, was called Tess and we were mother and daughter and it was lovely. Um, And um, your character on the show was quite different to you, really, in a sense. I mean, I think your character went on to get into, did she get into trouble going forward or was she? Yeah, and you know, she's back as well, which I find the most, that's the most I've been replaced. (laughs) Yeah, you were replaced. That's why. That's right. That's right. And is she a lesbian at my right? Apparently, last time I heard that she was a lesbian gym instructor. Yeah, that was. Okay, yeah, because there's this so such a mix with my family. It's so funny, right? So you were my daughter on air. I don't have any daughters in real life. And this is the reason I brought it up at this point. You'll understand me, Ruth. I, my conversations go all over the place. <laughs> it's very much just going with the flow. Um, and that's why I brought it up at this point, because um, if ever I was to have a real daughter, I mean, I would just be so proud <laughs> uh, to have you as my daughter. No, it's so lovely and so wonderful. You were so lovely to work with as a girl. You talked talk about actually, you know, the fact that when you wrote your book, um, that you were precocious. And this brings me back to what I was saying there about um, it not being all plain sailing. I mean, you took some rap and, and some nasty online stuff um, around that time, having written your book. I, I, I know I was reading around it and you were referring to a blog um, and I won't use the <laughs> um, I won't use the word that they uh, refer to you with, but it's got four letters and it begins with a C. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, you came across girls in nightclubs who said nasty things to you um, uh, about your book. And I mean, that's really just around, uh, is it jealousy? Is yeah, it... I don't know. It was quite, it's such an interesting thing to observe. And I mean, it was, it was one thing already just being on Fair City, as I said, between the age of 12 and 16, because I, you know, I was a pretty awkward teenager and I wasn't the most aesthetically blessed teenager so the idea of like being on national television while you're going through puberty and also then obviously the producers decided in the wake of my mother's uh, death um that i would become a goth my character would become a goth so i used to go okay. into rte every day and they would like smear grease in my hair and paint white on my face and i was like oh my god just as i was like trying to you know 
get a boyfriend in real life. I was brilliant. <laughs> like I broadcast to the nation looking at my absolute worst. So that was like its own thing. But yeah, then as you say, like in the context of Fair City and then a little bit later when the book first came out, it was really interesting to observe people's reactions. You know, as you said, people... But would... you weren't just observing. I mean, you were obviously... You, well, you sure. must have been yeah. feeling Feelings, as well. Yeah, absolutely. That people will come up you to... You can observe now and talk yeah, about it. But you're, 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 it's quite... It's, it's, it's quite tough going through your teens anyway. And actually your 20s can be qu- quite tough too, yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. And, and people just, you know, I, I don't know what it is that people's kind of go-to reaction where they're like, oh, you're the girl from Fair City. Oh yeah, you're rubbish. Like that is just, yeah. without even kind of their brain having to make a mental leap, like I'm going to be nasty now. It just, it just rolls off the tongue. It's just the automatic oh, thing. I, I, yeah, um, it's kind of, a, it's a fascinating thing. And, you know, it is culturally, and I know you're interested in um, contrasting cultures, I am too, but I do think it's a culturally specific thing. I think in other countries, if you were in different countries, you'd be, I mean, even if you take the, the United States, it'd be, oh my God, you're the one yeah. who wrote the novel. Yeah, that's like, yeah that is really interesting. I mean, like, yeah, so it's funny. People always ask me ask me questions like, oh, you know, did it not go to your head? You know, haven't been on TV and then, you know, the book and stuff. And, did you know, what did that do for your confidence and your ego? And I think they always expect me to kind of say that it was a real boost. And obviously, like, looking back, look, obviously, it was amazing to kind of publish a book at that age and all that. But, yeah, as you say, like, wrangling, I suppose, with, with all of that kind of um, – blowback and look I also totally acknowledge that in a way I was so lucky that it happened at the time it was now because it was just pre-social media you know like I, yes. I cannot fathom yes. now um, how people cope yeah and especially young people like it's you know just the kind of the constant oh, vitriol it's... and all that and as I said it just seems to be many people's kind of default reactions so yeah even just getting stopped on Grafton Street or in a nightclub or whatever and having nasty things said to you that was bad enough but the idea of being kind of trolled on a daily basis would be yeah I mean I know bad. one of our other one of our other colleagues in um, Fair City at that time it was kind of a couple of years before our major storyline but she was actually beaten up in a nightclub oh my just God. for being yeah yeah just for being um, God I can't remember I can't remember her character's name but yeah somebody just said to her you're such and such off Fair City and she said yeah and they just laid into her oh girls in a, yeah yeah mad and I mean of course there was mad stories as well where people would confuse you with real characters remember there was another character uh, yeah, yeah, and, but that's like well I mean that's but obviously this bizarre was, but also yeah but yeah. this this no 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 a, a particular nastiness so it's you know it's not all great um, in Ireland when 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 you are well known I mean I was fortunate enough I didn't have um, that much negativity but you're so right in a way I forgot that that was before social media um, you know really uh, it was just before it. It, it it didn't exist and actually my guest last week uh, Hilary Freeman she uh, is actually also a novelist and she has written um, she writes young adult um, but she's also a journalist and um, what we spoke about last week was the fact that she was publicly shamed online for an article that she wrote. Um, she was exploring the conflict between the body positivity movement and trying to get health messaging out about um, how obesity is detrimental to your health. And she wrote that article. And uh, I mean, it's in, it's in the entire episode. But yeah, I mean, um, death threats, not just to her. She laughed those off, but she had a two year old. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, and people saying, you know, hope your hope your daughter gets um cancer and dies an exceedingly slow death. Just awful, awful stuff. Oh, I it, 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 it's, 
yeah, well, there is there is the thing, isn't it? It's something that fascinates me. Um, you know, how do people flip? I mean, obviously, there's a thing called the cloak of anonymity, you know, mm-hmm. and you see that you see that with trolls, um, you know, but these were sort of ordinary people, too. You know, anyway, that's kind of sidetracking. But it's a good point that you make that at least you kind of went through it before that. But um, it's something that um, uh, it, it just has to change because it does some uh, terrible, terrible things. Uh, to people and Caroline Flack actually comes to mind yeah, there course, recently. Yeah. Oh, just just dreadful. People just really need to think before they act. There's real human beings at the other side of the screen or the other side of the the Twitter profile. Yeah. But going back anyway to your career, reason why I, I'm, you know, one of the reasons. I, I mean, obviously you love all your children, etc. But like just having a daughter like you, I mean, you you have four degrees, I think, at this stage. <laughs> uh, you have, um, and, and I think that's actually kind of a funny thing. Really, um, I didn't go to university when I left school. I left school at 16, actually. So when you were writing your novel, I was working in a life insurance company. Um, I did do my leaving cert, but I just did it very young. Uh, we didn't have transition year uh, back then. And also I kind of had started um, in school relatively young. Um, but actually, I think ultimately you and I were in university around the same time. Ah, because, amazing. <laughs> because I went to university um, after I left First City ah. and um, did a degree in psychology and then got a scholarship to do a PhD. So I was in, you're around the same age, actually, as my eldest son. I think you're a year or so older and um, I know he was in Trinity at the same time I was. Oh that's nice, that must have been fun going for lunches. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that but um, ah, yeah it was grand um, but uh, yes so you you went to Cambridge straight from school which is pretty um, incredible. Yeah it was it was pretty great I mean that whole kind of period around um, kind of the the summer of 2006 you know I I'm trying to get this in the right order I'm pretty sure the leaving cert results came out and I had got eight A1s and then wow wow the, oh my god let's stop for a moment eight A1s <laughs> yeah, I can, can I say this folks right so when uh, Ruth worked on Fair City sometimes we, we shared dressing rooms or whatever your mum would have to be there because um, you were underage so uh, it was mainly your mum I think was your uh, what was the word you had to have yeah. chaperone um, but you'd be in the dressing room in between scenes doing your homework for school. Yeah, I was a, I was a massive nerd like that, you know, I, and I was not. <laughs> but I think that, there's nothing nerdy about yeah. that. I mean, it's actually you were sitting down, d- down doing your homework and just such a nice kid, you know. Well, I have to do my homework and then I've learned my lines and you always knew your lines and you always knew your... Oh, it was just great to work with. <laughs> yeah, Very professional. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks. So, um, yeah, anyway, so I got the leaving results. Then I think the following week, the book came out... Then we oh went God. to Ayanapa on our sixth year holiday. Then while I was in Ayanapa, I got texts from the lovely woman who was in charge of publicity for the book to be like, good news, the book's just made number one. Mm-hmm. Then got back from Ayanapa and had a couple of weeks to kind of pack my bags and then moved to Cambridge. So wow. it was kind of the most mental month ever, really. Um, pretty, pretty incredible. And my book, my book went to number one. Too. Look at you, <laughs> Mine was in the nonfiction charts. Oh, it, it, doesn't quite, <laughs> it, does, it, it, it doesn't quite, oh God, no, I would never be competing <laughs> with my daughter, but, uh, uh, and I would never get 8A1s. Um, that's pretty incredible. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So then um Cambridge was amazing. You studied English? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. I was um I mean ironically had I stayed um in Ireland, my first choice in was to go to Trinity to do English and maths. That was my um, right. my first choice because I was always both um, both those are my two favorite subjects, basically and my two strongest subjects. But at English or uh, at Cambridge, sorry, you could only do one. So yeah, I applied for English, um, and yeah, I couldn't believe I got in, and then I went, and yeah, it was pretty like. I mean, Cambridge is a, it's a pretty unique place. Um, it's pretty bizarre. It really is like, you know, very old school in many ways. Um, it, and come here, just in terms of women, is it, is it, you know, is, is, is there any overhangs, you know, when you say it's old school oh, yeah. from I mean, a gender absolutely. perspective? I was, I mean, English as a subject tends to be uh, more women than men. So like in terms yeah. of my, my classmates, like there, there was a, a, a good gender balance that, if anything more women um and I was pretty lucky at the college I went to um because at Cambridge you have different colleges and you apply to a specific yes. one so I went to one called Gonville and Keys which is one of the more old school ones and I think um it's uh it, the gender makeup of its uh professorial body probably isn't um exactly the uh the greatest that being said my director of studies so the, the academic who is like specifically in charge of me and my kind of progression throughout the three years of my degree was a young woman who had just um had just been put into that role and i think therefore had a lot to prove and was also just absolutely amazing and she kind of made her business to make sure that me and my classmates really succeeded and honestly like she was incredible and just and just seeing her as i said this young woman who was kind of surrounded by these old white men and she was determined to succeed and we kind of wanted to succeed almost to like you know make her look good because because she was incredible and she uh yeah she so i owe a lot to her is it, it yeah well isn't it amazing now just so far since we've been talking you know you've mentioned two females who have you know, helped and supported and championed you. Mm. Um, it's kind of fantastic to hear that. You know, that does happen. Obviously, it does happen. But also, I think sometimes, um, you know, the reverse happens because we feel sometimes women can feel there's only, you know, X number of spaces for women and I've got mine and, and you know, I'm not going to let you kind of threaten me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I know what you mean. Um, but she, yeah, she was kind of, and she was, and look, I was, I was definitely um, and this isn't me being modest it was it was very daunting coming into Cambridge not only because there were, I mean there were very few Irish there like um, especially yes. at undergrad level just because obviously at that point like you know university is basically free in Ireland and it very much isn't in the UK so um, 
yeah, you just didn't like I was the only um, kind of Irish undergrad that I knew, really. Um, and also fundamentally, because, you know, all the Brits had done the A-levels. So they had only done three subjects for their final exams, whereas I had done eight. You did eight, which you didn't have to do. I you only was, had to do six. Oh, yeah, it's good to have a spare and then <laughs> for luck. Um, so I was obviously like I was good at English, but I had only devoted kind of one eighth of my time. To, time to yeah, So in terms of like how much I had read or how much I had I was really playing catch up when I arrived like I remember so okay. clearly in my first week of, of of lectures like one girl turning to me and being like how many Shakespeare plays have you read and I was like um I'm pretty sure we did one for the junior cert one, yeah, for, the one for the lead that's, that's two and she was like oh my god and I was like oh god so yeah I felt really um and I didn't like I didn't do very well in my first year like I in my exams just by your standards I'm sure you're no, just no, saying no, like, that, no. I, I fully I like I got a two two at the end of my first year um and I which is obviously a Cambridge two two is, is not awful but as in I was like yeah. okay um but as I said well coming from eight a1s yeah, you know yeah, I'm sure yeah. that so kind I, of impacted like, on you but I was I was kind of um I was like okay that's where I'm at, I'm at now so but then you know keep going and then then as I said in large part thanks to the the support of of, of Dr Bowman as she was called um yeah then you know at the end of first year then or sorry at the end of second year I managed to get a first and then in my finals I got a first as well so excellent uh, wow amazing amazing Um, and and what I wanted to ask you as well is you said you've all you were always a a, you know a creative child from 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 you know the outset and Cambridge you know were were you involved or did you have time to be involved in any of the footlights or any of the theatre work there or like I think I thought I would be more involved to be honest like so I remember I did a play in my first term and um, it was very funny actually I met a lot of people doing that play in my first term who remain um, some of my closest friends today so we had a very cast and crew we had a good a good bunch and it was so funny like I remember playing it was a David Hare play and I remember playing um, the role of the Irish prostitute and <laughs> my parents came over to visit the weekend that the play was on and my brother came and my three best friends from home came so they all came to see the play and there was me on stage acting the role of the Irish prostitute and I was like why do I think this is a good idea anyway um, <laughs> and then I never did the play again that was it that was the only that's right. the last time I actually acted because I think at that point also like needless to say Cambridge is seriously intense like the terms yes. are so it's just the time thing like you have to you have to write at least an essay a week um it's it's non-stop like you're and also like you're I was suddenly in this new country with all these new friends and you know so great you know a bit of socializing as yeah. well but the work was really full on also fundamentally I had another book under contract so um wow. so yeah. writing the next book alongside my Cambridge degree alongside being homesick alongside having a boyfriend yeah so all of that so basically the acting took the back seat um, and hasn't really come back since yeah well you're still young we'll see see what happens or where it goes but um, you know I was the same because I went to uh, university after uh, as you sort of alluded to there my character Tess was was murdered by your father in the show (laughs) (laughs) and then he kidnapped you guys but um, yeah I, I went to university afterwards and I thought while I was studying for my undergrad degree that um, I would keep my 
acting up. Um, but it's probably a bit like you as well. You know, I would be very competitive um, and, I, you know, I wanted to kind of get the best results I, I, I could and I found myself that I actually didn't do any acting at all. Um, I just focused on the, the studying and did pretty much. This is why, I, 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 no offence to your real mum, but, you know, um, happily, happily have you as my daughter. Yeah, I got first class honours every year and came first in class oh, wow. every year as well. But um, I, so, so I do, I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from on that as well. You know, there's a certain, I adored acting and loved acting, um, but then you get focused on something and, you know, you want to be the best at that. Um, and, and plus I loved, I mean, I, my undergrad was psychology, so it's, it's, it's human behavior. And then my PhD was in the Institute of Neuroscience, which is understanding the relationship between human behavior and the brain. And to be honest, that's part of the reason I loved acting. Um, I'm, I'm sure maybe you can kind of connect with that. It's about understanding why someone would behave in a particular way yeah. to be that character. Yeah, you know, yeah. you have to, it, it's not about the words. Um, it's about, well, what's the, and motivation sounds like such an artsy thing, but actually that's what I mean genuinely, you know, what is kind of going into, on inside their brain that would cause them to, to act um, like that. But, uh, and, and that was something I was thinking about when I was reading about you and how, um, um, you you talked as you as you, so you, you you did book one and book two fairly close together and while you're doing a degree it's it's pretty incredible um, and then I think I'm correct me if I'm wrong around the time you were doing book three um, was it that someone people sort of started to describe you as a chicklet author yeah I mean to be honest I think that happened kind of straight away I mean God knows the cover of my first book is bright pink and has little hearts all over it and I think I was described as the love child of Cecilia Hearn and Ross. Carl Kelly, which I, oh, it's not bad. I kind of love as, as a thing. Yeah. I wish you know, it followed me around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the book was very much, the books were very much packaged and marketed as as a specific type of book, and and you know, the chiclet genre was um, was was very much mentioned. And then you know, the third book I wrote, and you know, obviously the the books thus far had been pretty autobiographical and book three was no different really it was all about an Irish girl who goes off to Cambridge um to study and then she um and this is where the book is not autobiographical she um experiences um she's basically raped um and the book kind of deals with that and and that was a really interesting moment because I remember writing that book and actually having to do quite a lot of research because fortunately it's not something that I have first-hand experience of and I worked with the kind of rape crisis center in Dublin and and did some interviews there. I did counseling for them too. Yeah I mean an amazing an amazing set of women there um but and then I remember being sent the kind of proof uh, copy or the advanced copy of what the cover for book three was going to look like. And you could see that, you know, it was bright and it had flowers on it. And I was just like, guys, no, like, come on, this is actually yeah. quite a dark book. And the subject matter deserves kind of respect and gravity and whatever. But they were just so eager that, you know, I was I would continue to fit the mold of very kind of commercial, upbeat, coming of age, party, party books. Um, So we kind of, we wrangled a little bit on that and came up with something that like was a kind of happy medium. But I think that was the point at which I started to realize, A, that like I was interested maybe in starting to move away from the kinds of books that I'd written previously and B, that like my publishers weren't necessarily going to be delighted with me doing that. Um, So yeah, so basically what followed 
followed was, well, actually what followed, and I don't talk about this very often, but I did actually write book number four. Um, and it was a complete disaster because on the one hand, I was interested in kind of moving away from that commercial mode and writing something more kind of research-based and a bit more literary or whatever you want to call it. And my publishers really weren't, and I wanted to keep them happy. So I was trying to write this hybrid thing that was kind of neither one thing nor the other. Um, and it was it was rubbish. And my editor read it and was like, oh, Ruth, um, we're not sure about this now. Um, so basically what I ended up doing was saying, you know what, I think I need to take a sit back here and figure out what it is I actually yeah. want to do. Um, and, and very, very mature. And I, I mean, I did read that, uh, you know, I, you know I, before I do these podcasts, I always feel like a stalker, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, well, no, it's important to kind of go and kind of get, you know, whatever insights and find things that, that interest me. And that did jump out to me too, you know, that, and, and I think it's an important lesson also for people to learn. And we all do it, you know, is, is, you know, when you try to please everybody, sometimes it's you that actually kind of gets thrown out of the mix. And very fortunately, you were mature enough to realize, okay, well, I can't write what I want to write and please them. So I'm going to go and write what I want to write. Lots of people would go the other route, you know, and I, I think it's so important because um, at the end of the day, finding something that you love is is love and can lose yourself in is really the key to happiness and, and to um, satisfaction in a way in life rather than, um, and, and I mean, I get the sense that you would have felt uh, that you weren't being true to yourself. I think one of the reasons I kind of raised that issue around the, the chiclet and nothing wrong with chiclet or, you know, anything like that. This this for me is more about an, an, an issue of you being able to follow, you know, I, I don't usually use the term the gut, but, you know, follow where you wanted to go. You were growing. You wrote your first book at 16. You have different interests. And obviously, sadly, that interest in, you know, writing and the need to write about um, rape was a, as a consequence of rape culture, um, which sadly is still ongoing in universities and something that we need more, tackled more. Um, but also there was the issue really around, I, I, I guess you can kind of call it a sexism of a sort, where, um, you know, there was other young men writing books um, who weren't sort of put in a box and their books were were looked at for what they were. And I think even you mentioned in one interview about someone being nominated for a man Booker Prize, you know, who was along a similar time as, as you when you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I'm kind of, um, on the one hand, I appreciate that, like, the book that I wrote around that time like I'm not saying it was a work of like literary genius but it did make me very as you say conscious to quite how gendered the industry is and 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 also just like there's a real snobbishness about different genres and different types of book and as you say unfortunately that falls along gender lines very often what was most interesting to me to be honest is the way that people often invite me to talk about this kind of transition I suppose that I went on um in retrospect like they, they they're very keen for me to to say something aligns along the lines of you know I used to write these kind of silly chick litty book but then I took a break and now I write serious proper literary fiction and and, right. and I really hate that because I I just yeah. I think again that is to say that like you know to say that someone like Marion Keys isn't a genius is is insane because like her books are brilliant and so I'm actually yeah and... yeah I'm actually reading her grown-ups at the moment almost finished you know and and I mean they're 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 fantastic and 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 the thing is you know it's like saying one type of music is better than another yeah. type of music these are in a sense I suppose for our entertainment I think they're hugely important at, actually at the moment and and you know in terms of self-isolating during COVID and all those times but also you know aside from from the current pandemic 
pandemic that we're living through, loneliness, um, you know, is is very detrimental to health and, and books can help people hugely. Um, you know, you can find friends in a book as you read a book and you can find yourself in a book in, you know, if somebody else is going through something similar, it can often sort of help with self, self-awareness or help you seek solutions. And I don't think it matters what the genre is. No, and I think people who have, I think, some of the character insights and the way that they are able to capture the nuance of social interaction and everyday existence is ex- extraordinary. But because of the way that they get marketed and talked about and pigeonholed, um, they are, you know, for many people deemed somehow superior or further down on some bizarre literary hierarchy that exists. So I, as I said, I was really keen after the fact to make it clear that I didn't feel like I'd kind of graduated onto like a higher plane. I mean, to be honest, like, and as my mother also likes to point out, you know, I will never sell as many copies of a book as I did <laughs> when I wrote those early, those earlier books. Um, but for me, it was, as you said, it was, it was partly, you know, I, I'd grown up, I, I'd done a degree in English and then went on to do a couple more and I read a lot and I just found my taste changing. And it was just about doing something different, not something better, not something more serious, just different. Um, and that yeah, was what I was yeah. interested in pursuing. Well, that's what I was going to say about the authors of, of so-called chiclet or whatever you want to call it, popular fiction. Um, you know, the, the laugh is on their side because they make absolutely millions. And the fact of the matter is there is a market there for it is what people want. And I mean, I found that when, you know, when I was, um, there's sort of a similar snobbery. I, I think that snobbery exists sort of in a lot of places. I mean, we would have felt it. We, I, I certainly, you mightn't have noticed it as a young teenager because you were kind of, um, you know, kind of busy going through that sort of angst while you're on the TV. But I mean, I noticed it, that snobbery, oh, you're a soap actor. Do you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like in a hierarchy, yeah. you'd be a theatre actor. Now, I never really particularly had, I, I'm fully trained as a theatre um, actor, but because my interest and motivation was understanding characters and creating it, TV appear, appeals to me much more because it's not about the repeating the performance every night. It's about the understanding it and getting it right. So actually soap was fab um, for me. But um, yeah, also somehow that that acting in soap is, is lesser. But actually, to be honest, to look good on soap, you actually have to be pretty exceptional because everything is done so quickly on such low budgets. No, you know, you have no music to tell the story. You watch any, you know, movie, the music is telling you what to think, the lighting, the atmosphere. You have none of that. I mean, remember, our, we, we'd be in the living room of our house where most of our scenes were and you had what I'd call the three Daleks in front of you, which was three cameras <laughs> that they never moved. And, and, and everything was shot at, at the one time, your close up plus your three angle wide shot plus your two shot. Now, if you're making a film, you have to kind of make quite your performance much, much smaller, you know, for your close up. And then it's different, you know, yeah, for, for, yeah, for your wider so true, shot. Yeah. And I mean, when you're when you're on when you're on soap, there's there's no choice in that. And it's there's no can I do it again? I wasn't happy. It's once the technical people are happy. That's it. That's a wrap. Move on. <laughs> and in fact, on the soap, when we worked on it, the teams used to have competitions who could finish the earliest each day. Yeah. <laughs> and also, we were, remind me if correct or if I'm wrong, I think we were there when it went from three episodes to four episodes a week. So yeah. like the turnaround was just like I was just, insane. Just in- like you're making two hours of telly a week, like from scratch. Yeah. Like, and I mean, for, for anybody not familiar, if you're if you're working on film, you'd probably be lucky if you if you make a, a minute of film a day. Um, you know, if it's if it's proper, you know, kind of movie stuff, it's 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 just an entirely different. Yeah, that's a really good parallel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and the, the snobbery also exists. Um, I think in academia, um, and I can only speak for myself here. You know, in terms of um, uh, you know, publications, it's certainly on the science 
science end of things. I don't know how it works in um, the more literary side, but uh, certainly in the science end, it's about publication and publication in academic, in in nature and, and you know, your H factor and all that sort of thing. And whereas for me, um, I want to have impact. Um, I started very late in university. I'm never going to have hundreds and hundreds of academic papers, but I also found that that wasn't my driver. My real driver is actually to take that science, to take that research, translate it, make it easy to understand so that people can um, be more proactive about their health, in my own case, about their brain health. But also I talk about um, other issues like, because that's what struck me when I was doing my PhD, was reading tons of literature and going, oh my God, there are risk factors for dementia. You could reduce those. And how come I don't know that? Or how come I don't know that you can boost the growth of the neurons in your brain? You know, and then I realized nobody knew it. But yet there's been publications on them going back to the 80s. And, you know, the, the information just wasn't making, breaking out from academic literature. Um, and so that's where I found sort of my passion um, and sort of it, it probably a little bit in, in, in the reverse of you. You know, I found my passion in saying, well, actually, I want to I want to be accessible to the masses. It means more to me to do that than have a nature publication. And so that's what I focus on. Um, and I'm perfectly happy doing that. I love that. But I still think there's a snobbery. And actually also within universities, there's no real recognition of that. So for promotion, it's around, well, how many publications, how many this, how many that, but nothing about the impact. Having said that, in fairness, the university gave me an award. Um, the province gave me an award for the impact of my work. But in the regular sort of scheme of things, um, there isn't. For now, that's all we have time for. But Ruth and I continue our chat in next week's episode. My name is Sabina Brennan and you've been listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Super Brain on Apple, Spotify, Google, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you loved it, rate it, review it and share it. 